Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. It's easy to be nice to the barista, right, when, when she gets your <laughs> coffee right. It's easy to be kind when there's harmony in your family. But try kindness when there's dissension. Try kindness when you have a strained relationship with your husband or your children. Try kindness when you're not getting along with your neighbor. It's a lot more difficult that's Dr. Barry Corey, and he's with us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I'm really looking forward to the conversation today because it's going to help all of us uh, learn how we can better love God and love people. To live out that scripture found in the book of Micah 6.8, which says, uh, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I think that's an awesome statement. I think so often um, we're missing those admonitions to love kindly, to um, to project kindness, because somehow the human heart opens up when we do it. It's kind of a lost art, but we do have ways for you to, uh, to learn more about doing that in the conversation ahead, and also uh, resources at focusonthefamily.ca. And we're visiting today with Dr. Barry Corey. He's president of Biola University, has been since 2007. He's the author of a couple of books, including Love Kindness. And he and his wife, Paula, live in Southern California and have three children. Dr. Corey, uh, Barry to your friends. <laughs> it's Thank great, you. Great to have you here at Focus. It's great to be here, Jim and John. Thanks for having me on now, your show. You and I have uh, had many discussions about mm-hmm. this theme, about love and kindness and those virtues that sometimes get lost in the fray of battle, if we want right. to call it the spiritual yeah. warfare. Yeah. Um, describe for me uh, where you're coming from, mm-hmm. what kindness is in that true definition, and why you believe uh, we need to reemphasize it. Yeah, well, I remember the very first time I met you, uh, Jim, uh, at Biola years ago, we immediately started talking about how can we be more civil in an increasingly uncivil uh, culture. And um, those conversations continue to kind of germinate in my in my mind and in my heart. And as I'm looking at this rising generation of students and like, what are we modeling for them in a way that they're going to have an impact on our culture in, in politics, in entertainment, in the arts, in commerce, whatever it might be. And increasingly, I believe that the antidote to all of the division and the skepticism and the anger and the polarization is to, for Christians, to lead the way in living lives of profound kindness. It is what uh, you mentioned in that Micah 6-8 verse that we are called to, we say love mercy sometimes, but it literally means to love kindness, not just to do kindness in some Nike-esque kind of way. We don't do kindness. We love kindness, and that means kindness is not a random act. It's a radical life, and this book that I wrote is about 
how revolutionary our lives could be in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our culture, in our politics, if we lived out this profound sense of kindness that the scriptures call us to. Why is love and kindness, and I I put those together, because usually when you're looking at the fruit of the Spirit uh, in Galatians uh, 5.22, it's it's love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy. Um, Why do these things get lost. I mean, why do we acknowledge them almost with our head, but sometimes right. they're hard to deploy with our heart? Because there's that fight in us. We mm-hmm. don't want to see injustice. We don't want to see things go against the Word of God, right. especially in a country that has historically embraced Christian values. And now things are changing, and we're in an environment where we don't have that um, singular, social, cohesive approach. Mm. Um, why does the ugly side of us mm. show up rather than yeah. the God spirit in us, that love and kindness that he possesses? You know, I've been using a phrase recently about um, living a life with a firm center and soft edges. And too often, I think Christians have had firm centers and hard edges. We've got to stand up for this, and we've got to defend ourselves. And so the hard edges is, are, are what we lead with. Or we think that, well, if you have soft edges, that means you have, you have a spongy center, that you don't really have any firm convictions or beliefs. But if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, some and kindness is right there, right in the middle. And I think it is, it is you know, one of the keys. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not optional. You have to live this way if you are a follower of Jesus. That we somehow mistake kindness for niceness. What's the difference? Well, I think niceness is spongy in the middle, and (laughs) kindness is radical and powerful. You can't find the word niceness or nice in the Bible. Nowhere. Hmm. It's not there. But kindness is all over it. Old Testament, New Testament, scriptures are full of the word kindness, loving kindness, kind-hearted. And a matter of fact, Paul in in Romans 2.4 says, it's kindness that leads to repentance. Right. He did. He says it right after this. The, all the words about judging. Don't be overly judgmental, and and sometimes we think judgment is what changes it. And so we're quick to judge and quick to be angry and quick to be combative, and because we think kindness is too soft, it's what Boy Scouts and grandmothers do. We need to stop telling our children to be nice and start telling them to be kind and then tell them the difference between the two. No, I like that. In fact, that Romans 2, 4 verse is something I quote often. And it's not just, uh, you know, for us, but it says God's kindness Mm -hmm. leads one to repentance. So the question that I always ask people that are struggling with that kindness idea is why should we do something different from what God does with sinners, right. and us in- yeah. included? Yeah. You know, he doesn't just uh, come at us simply with that judgment. I mean, being righteous is part of the package, and mm-hmm. that's where we want to go with mm-hmm. sanctification. Mm-hmm. But he starts the process by yeah. expressing his kindness toward yeah. us, and that's what leads us to repentance. So I'll often ask a crowd, who's been beaten into the kingdom of God? I'd like to see your right. hand. Who has said here, those Christians were so tough yeah. on me yeah. and were so hateful toward me that I decided yeah to become one of them. You never find anybody like that. It's always these Christians showed me such love and such kindness, it compelled me to kind of open my heart up to the message Mm. of God. That's what happens, isn't it? That's what happens. And I think we often assume that the opposite of kindness is meanness. And and I don't think that's the case. I think the opposite of kindness is fear. Hmm. We're afraid of the Supreme Court, we're afraid of the president, we're afraid of the immigrant, we're afraid of the Muslim, we're afraid of the gay person, whatever it might be. And so because of that fear, we put up barriers, and those barriers become obstacles for our building relationships with those who may not see eye to eye with us. Uh. 
and and that's what Scripture calls us to do when it mean, when it says love kindness. You you reach out to those who it's easy to be nice to the barista, right? When when she gets your <laughs> coffee right, it's easy to be kind when there's harmony in your family, but try kindness when there's dissension. Try kindness when you have a strained relationship with your husband or your children. Try kindness when you're not getting along with your neighbor. It's a lot more difficult then. And what's most offensive to us in our human side sometimes is when we're kind and we're not thanked. We're kind and we're not received. But kindness is not about being thanked. Kindness is about being obedient. And sometimes you're going to get the cold shoulder or the fist or the finger or whatever it might be, and that doesn't matter. Or verbal attack. With, or yeah. verbal attack. Let me ask you this. Uh, you are a Rhodes Scholar, which congratulations. Uh, Fulbright. That, uh, Fulbright. Yeah, yeah. And that is an achievement. I mean, that is really something. While you're overseas, your dad, who uh, was a pastor, uh, yeah. he passed away not long ago, I think, right. but he came to visit you, mm-hmm. and you had quite a discussion with him. Tell us yes. about how he modeled kindness for you and what you saw in your own father. So when I was a child, um, my father, who had this profound love for Jesus and lived this life of unfiltered kindness, even when people rejected him, he would do the most, in my mind, the most awkward things. He would hug the Islamic gas station attendant. He would hold hands with a cobbler fixing his shoes at the little shoe place and pray with him. One time he had the the, the audacity to hold the Jewish furniture merchant's face in his hand and, and say, Reuben, I love you, and I wanted to crawl under the, the desk of that furniture shop because I was so mortified that my father would actually do that. But it was years later when I was this ponytailed researcher living in Bangladesh <laughs> for a year that he came through for a few days. And we had this walk this one morning on these fetid streets of Dhaka, the nation's capital, just crowded with rickshaws and beggars and poverty and stench. And as we were walking these streets and I was trying to figure life out, he said, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 10. He said, that I, I, I can't get out of my mind. He said, it's right after Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to be my follower, you pick up your cross and come with me. But then he says to his disciples, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, Matthew 10, 40. He said, I don't fully get what Jesus meant, but this I do know that whoever God places in my path, unless I make myself receivable to them, how will they ever receive the grace of God? How will they ever receive the love of Christ? And and at that moment, all those memories began cascading down of the Islamic gas station attendant and the cobbler and the Jewish furniture merchant. And I, and I understood, you know, my father wasn't being weird. He was, he was being receivable. And he was living that life of, you know what, whatever it takes, I'm going to make myself receivable. And to me, receivable looks like kindness. But you may not be accepted with your kindness. Uh, you may be rejected. But, but kindness is never forgotten. There's something powerful about kindness and the and the seeds of kindness that you plant, you may not see the the result of those seeds for years or maybe even in eternity. Right. But you've got to lean into kindness, even when it seems offensive to people, even when you're rejected. Well, and Barry, what strikes me is how it is God's tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why He says, "Love yeah. your neighbor," right? Because it does yeah. something to that neighbor's yeah. heart, especially yeah. if if they're at odds with you for right. some reason. It's that soft edges you talked about. Uh, you talk also in the book about the 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 pain caused by hypocrisy, mm. and of course we have that in our culture all mm-hmm. the time. You're working as a 
college president at Biola, you have that rising generation mm-hmm. with you every day yeah. as a vocational yeah. reality. What do they tell you about what they see in yeah. the older, in their parents' generation, yeah. their grandparents? Yeah. What do they say and what are they trying to fix yeah. with their idealism? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I take um, 10 or so freshman guys every year up to Yosemite right when they're on the front end of their time at Biola. And, and we talk about life and their challenges and their aspirations. And they are honest with me about the stuff in a very candid way about the stuff that they've been going through and, and are going through. And to a certain degree, I, I want to be honest and vulnerable to them. I like to say I don't want to be transparent, maybe translucent, letting the light shine through, but not everything. Um, <laughs> but I do think that there's there's something about authenticity that this generation is looking for in in leaders. Um, they don't want the buttoned up life. They want the opened up life. Hmm. And and when you have the buttoned up life, that is to them that smells like hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is the poison of kindness. Can we let's give this some context because I totally agree. And the other thing is, I don't frown upon what the Holy Spirit is doing in mm-hmm. a generation. I think generationally. God mm-hmm. puts these things in the hearts of his people so that they express it. And I think the younger generation, as they're looking for that authenticity, I think it's put there by God to kind of right the ship, if you right. if you will. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that we're observing here is that for a long time, I think in I think for generational reasons, I think Christian leadership has been about projecting perfection, that button down mm-hmm. metaphor yeah. that you talk about. And what's difficult with that is it's hard for people who are not living in that place mm-hmm. to attach themselves to that. The, I've often heard, you know, well, that guy's too perfect. I could never be like right. him. Sometimes at Focus, we've taken yeah. some grief because, you know, uh, we've had supporters who have gone through divorce. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, why didn't you contact us to help? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I would be embarrassed because you guys, you know, you all seem so perfect. Yeah. That that's not necessarily a good attribute, yeah. is it? When you're authentic, mm-hmm. you're saying, "Okay, we're broken too. We're sinners too," mm-hmm. and um, yet we're trying to follow that path yeah. that the Lord has set out to live in accountability, to live righteously, to live humbly. Um, but why do we, as human beings, want to project something we're not and then give ourselves a badge of honor for it? Yeah, uh, because we're broken, sinful people. That's why um, when I um when I wrote this book, I, I talk a lot about authenticity in there and what hypocrisy looks like. And in order for me, and what I felt in my spirit was I had to be open about my own issues in this book. And I actually leaned into being more vulnerable than I probably would have been when I started off writing this book. I've got to press you a little, though, just to make it um, understandable. What was it? I mean, what are those Christian blind spots that we have? What did you have? If I could press you on that, and maybe I'll share a couple of mine, but what what did the Lord say to you when you saw something that wasn't lining up with his word? Um, uh, For me, it was pride that I had been given the title of president of Biola University, one of America's largest uh, universities. Uh, my very first uh, day on the job, I was pulling into campus at 5.30 in the morning, and I noticed that there was a um, security um, vehicle, a campus safety car, following me. And I thought, this is great. You get escort service here at Biola. <laughs> and then when I pulled into the spot, um, he came up and he said, stay in the car, roll down the windows. And I said, are you joking? And he said, no, I'm not joking. We take California traffic laws very seriously here, and you've, you've run a stop sign. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, are you here for a conference or something? I said, no, sir, it's my, my first day in the job. I, I, I must have missed that. I apologize. He said, well, here on out, you take the, the, the traffic laws at Biola University seriously. I said, can I go to the office now? He said, you can go. So I went up to the office. It was about an hour later. There was a knock on the door. And there's another campus safety officer, and he said, did you get pulled over this morning? I said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I ran a stop sign. And, uh, and he said, well, someone was filling out the report on you of the, of the incident uh, when I got in. And uh, I asked this officer, well, who did you pull over? He said, I don't know, some guy, first day on the job, but I told him what for. <laughs> and so this shift supervisor opens up the website and said, does, does he look like him? The guy goes, yeah, he looks a lot like him. So that officer works at Home Depot now. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, that's just – Hopefully he sent him a note yeah, saying, yeah, way yeah, to do yeah. your job, buddy. No, every, I mean, everything about Home Depot was true about that story. But, but, but that, was, that was God's reminder to me day one um, that I prayed that I would begin this job with a sense of humility and God answered that prayer. And, you know, I had um, – I had taken a great deal of, you know, in my own mind, that look, look at this job that I have, and God's reminding me that you are here not because you're good, but because you're called. And that was one of many areas in, in, in what I've written where of, of my own fears, my insecurities, my, my pride, my lack of priorities, where I put it out there in this book because I thought kindness means you open yourself up and you allow your imperfections to be exposed because that's how you welcome others into your that's how you make yourself receivable mm. it doesn't mean that people will receive you but it's risky kindness it it's it's radical it is it's hard it's countercultural but you are in Paul's words you are the aroma of Christ yeah and to some, you're the smell of life. To others, you're the smell of death. But you've got to smell like Jesus. And it's not your job to be received. It's your job to make yourself receivable. And that's what's so hard about living this radically kind life, because we want to be thanked, and we want to be patted on the back, and we want to be recognized. We want to have those prominent seats at the table. And Jesus says, that's not what I've called you to be. You have to lean into that selfless, sacrificial, receivable kindness and live that way. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. During Christmas time, people often spend more than they can afford and accumulate debt. In the parable of the tower, Christ admonished us to plan ahead, which means we need to save for future needs. To accomplish this, you need to follow a budget to ensure that you spend less than you earn and have sufficient savings for future expenses, which would include Christmas gifts, annual insurance premiums, vacation, etc. For example, if Christmas gifts cost about $900, you should save $75 per month throughout the year to ensure that you have sufficient funds and to avoid debt. Saving is biblical. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future. How much do you need to save? Form number three of the Copeland Budgeting System, available from BibleFinance.org, provides a tool for estimating the required monthly savings to meet future expenses. In summary, follow a budget to ensure that you have sufficient savings for future needs. 
Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. When I look at the early church, I mean, that's where I'll often go to because it's such a great example. I mean, as with anything, they knew better than we, do, we know today what Jesus meant. I mean, I, some might argue that, but they walked with him, and they walked with his disciples the first, mm-hmm. second, third century. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tend to like to see the closer to the authentic person like Jesus, those people knew. Mm-hmm. And when you look at their lives, I mean, they were willing to lay themselves down. In fact, you look at, uh, at least from Fox's Book of Martyrs or mm-hmm. some of those stories of the church and Peter saying he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord, he asked them to crucify him upside down. And of course, Paul being beheaded. Um, it They weren't winning in this life. The disciples didn't win. They all died. Right. And, uh, you know, we think of the way we try to cling to power. And I don't see that lesson in the New Testament, especially the early church. You see Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate when Pontius is trying to figure out who are you and why are you here? And he said, I've come to testify to the truth. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, I I came simply to tell people about my righteousness. I came to testify to the truth. That is powerful. Mm And that's that firm center, right. to always testify to truth. Yeah. But he also was a friend of sinners. Right. The Sadducees and the Pharisees yeah. didn't like yeah. him because he hung out with the wrong yeah. crowd. Yeah. Put it in that context. Yeah, so that's – you know, the, the biblical analogy for me also is Daniel in Babylon, right? So you know, you know, the captives are there, and Daniel is living in a pagan culture, and he has lines that he has drawn in his own life that he will not compromise – his commitment to God. He will not compromise what, what that calls him to. But he also is, is leading and associating himself with various you know, leaders of Babylon. And it's what, what Jeremiah says, you seek the peace of the city. And that city is not Jerusalem. It's easy to flourish in Jerusalem, and it's easy to just to survive in Babylon. But he was showing this is, we can flourish as the, as the body of Christ. It may be under persecution, it may be um, difficult, but you seek the peace of the city. You plant gardens there, and you build houses there. And and, and we are increasingly, I think, more in a uh, Babylon metaphor than we are in in Jerusalem. Mm. And what does it look like for the people of God to be engaged in the, in political conversations and in the arts uh, and in entertainment and in commerce and to emerge as leaders with winsome voices? This is what we're called to do, and we can do that without compromising our convictions. And if it comes, push comes to shove, you know, there, there are sacrifices that we're going to have to make. Uh, Barry, in your book, Love Kindness, you talk about um, a handful of things that are kind of the critical themes. In fact, you've touched on some of them, soft edges and what that means, a firm center. Uh, you also mentioned some other attributes. Can you touch on a couple of those that mean the most to you? Yeah, I, th- I think um, – we have lost the, the gift of hospitality. Mm-hmm. It's easy to invite people into our homes, literally into our homes, who are like us, same social, economic, family types, political party. That is easy to do. But if the kingdom of God ultimately will be every tongue and tribe and nation gathering around that great supper, then we have to reverse engineer that. Right. What does that great supper look like around our supper table? And how are we willing to bring people to eat with us who may have, you know, backgrounds that are very different um, yeah. ethnically, culturally, politically, religiously. 
And I think this this is the kind of community that God has called us to. What does kindness look like at your dining room table? The cross was the most profound, kind moment of history. We think of it as bloody and, and, and rugged, but that's where God's grace took place mm-hmm. for us, and it was flanked by two meals. You know, the the Last Supper, and then after that, Jesus, you know, cooking fish for his disciples at breakfast. We have lost, I think, the ability to think about what does it mean to invite someone to our home, to our table. As I mean, I've been invited to people who are—I lived in Bangladesh for a year—who who didn't have much money at all, but those meals were gracious because of the hospitality, mm. not because of how fancy the meal was. It was it's interesting, um, back in 1995, um, when the the Republicans took over Congress, one of the things that that Newt Gingrich encouraged them to do, these new Republicans, was stay in your homes, back in your communities, live there, and then just commute to Washington. And there are many that say that when that happened and the families didn't move to Washington, the engagement that those on both sides of the party had with each other at PTA meetings in local churches at you know in neighborhoods at cookouts it stopped happening right we have stopped being in community with those who are different than we are and i think that's um that's a travesty and i think that that's that is one of the reasons why there's so much division in our world um and and i i if you take god's word seriously you know jesus never had a problem with associating with those who had fundamentally different worldview uh, than he did. And um, he was entertaining at home. He was, you know, walking the road. He was um, sitting down on a a side of a hill with those who disagreed deeply with the kingdom world that he was describing. And uh, if we are not intentional about establishing these conversations, we, again, we may get rejected and we may get our feelings hurt because someone might betray us. They may act like they're being hospitable, and they might say something on a blog afterwards. But that shouldn't dissuade us from trying again. Um, this is the antidote to so much that is wrong with, with, with our culture today. And it doesn't mean that kindness is is timid and milk toast and fluffy. It is powerful, and it is radical, and it can reconcile relationships, and it can be at the key to racial reconciliation. It can bring nations together. We just underestimate it, and we think it's soft when it is revolutionary. And so I believe we have no choice but to keep trying on these conversations, and we can do so in a way that we're not compromising our stand for justice and and God's truth and the integrity that, that the scriptures call us to, but for crying out loud, like, like, like you can't love with a bullhorn. Well, some really great insights and uh, timely reminders today on Focus on the Family from Dr. Barry Corey about uh, how to show kindness to others in our culture, especially those who disagree with us. Yeah, yeah, John, especially regarding how we see things politically. It's hard to do. But I want to reiterate that our goal here at Focus on the Family is to equip you uh, with the Scripture as our guide, to live out the testimony that God has called us to as Christians. If anyone is offended by this or by us, uh, let it be the gospel that offends you and not 
our behavior or our antagonistic words. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, in doing so, people will see something so different in us that they're compelled to lean in instead of pulling away from the gospel. Uh, so maybe ask yourself today, what can I do differently? Think about inviting someone to your home for dinner who doesn't think the way you think. Uh, Gene and I have tried to do that, and we have done it, frankly. And there are um, other great ideas in Dr. Corey's book to move you in that direction. So I'll make that a challenge to us all and encourage you to get this book, too. Well, I agree. It is a good challenge, and you can get your copy of the book by Dr. Corey, Love Kindness, just stop by FocusOnTheFamily.ca. And if you've been uh, touched by our work here, uh, let us know that, please, by making a financial contribution to the ministry of Focus on the Family. We want to uh, continue to provide you with the kinds of conversations that we've had today. And you can make that donation online or when you call 800, the letter A in the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.